Just two short verses for you to read to me today from Ephesians. If you want to have your own Bible, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to read verses 14 and 15. If you can put them up. All right, go for it right now. Okay, that's short enough you can do it again because I'm not sure everybody was paying attention. Do it one more time. Okay, sing a little louder. One more time. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Thank you. You can be seated. I have um, felt impressed of the Lord to talk today about prayer because I feel like and I know that we are in a a unique season of prayer right now. So I'm calling this today just a season of prayer because I look at the words of Paul in this, these little two short little verses. Um, and I, I see a pattern, and he really teaches us quite a bit about prayer if you, if, if you take a, a pretty deep dive in, into it. This is a unique season of prayer for us. Prayer groups have been taking place because we have a very large decision to make tonight, possibly the largest in the 86-year history of the church. Um, and so we would not even think about moving into this. The, the board has been praying. The pastors have been praying. Prayer groups have been praying. Uh, the Sunday night prayer group has been, has, has been praying. So particularly as we, as we come to this day, uh, the all-important congregational vote, which takes place tonight, uh, it will have direct bearing on our future and as we go forward from this point in time, in one way or the other, whatever it happens. It's, it's a huge project and a huge undertaking that we are considering it. And that's why it's been so important that we clothe it and we cover it and we bathe it in prayer. Uh, It's been so extremely important. And I'm I'm even trusting this afternoon um, that yet this afternoon you will continue to, to, to lift tonight's congregational decision before the Lord Jesus, asking for his divine direction and his guidance. Isn't that what we want? Certainly it is. Well, these two verses, which you've read, you've read this morning, give us some incredible insight into the mind and the heart of the Apostle Paul when it comes to the idea of prayer. So give me just a few minutes to extrapolate from these two short verses some things that I, I think will be hopefully of, of, uh, of help to us and in your prayer life. If you are a praying person, and I pray that you are, then you already know that there are some difficulties which are associated with prayer. If you are a praying person, you probably know that the flesh hates to pray. The flesh hates to pray. Uh, If you're like me, you know what it is to be uh, committed to praying about something and you start to get into it, but the flesh is tired and suddenly you're praying when you realize you've just been woken up by your phone ringing because you've fallen asleep in prayer. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in prayer? Well, not only that, but our mind is so easily distracted in prayer, so easily distracted. Now, I I know there's no sinners in the room like me here today, 
And I understand that all of you got the discipline of prayer all put together. But there are times for me when I want to pray intently. And I get really serious about praying. And I start to pray. And in about two minutes, I say to myself, how did I get over there? How did I end up there? Am I the only one that happens to or does it happen to anybody else? Your mind wanders. As soon as you get serious about praying, as soon as you're sure you're going to clear your mind and get everything else out of the way, all of a sudden, everything else, your, your grocery list and your to-do list and what you should have, who you should have called and what you should have done, all of a sudden, and then that takes you down this thought and that thought. Well, it appears that Paul had this same issue that you and I have. Because when you read verse 1 of chapter 3, the first verse, now we read 14 and 15. When you read the first verse of chapter 3, he started to pray. And then it seems like he got sidetracked and he spent the next 12 verses then describing the mystery of the church. But here's the difference in Paul and you and I. Paul was not distracted by the flesh. He was distracted by the Holy Spirit. Because here's what happens. When you begin to think about the mystery of godliness, when you begin thinking about what the Lord has done, what the Lord can do, and what your hopes are for what the Lord will do, when you start thinking about the mystery of how God saves us, how God calls us, how he adopts us, how he redeems us, and how he makes us part of his family, what that does is that always moves us to prayer. That's what that does. Who's with me this morning? When I think about the Lord, we sing it so often, particularly on a Sunday night, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he what? Picked me up and turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground. You know what it does? It makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's something about... Letting your mind settle in on the goodness of God and what he has done and what he is doing for us as a church and as a body that ought to be that which motivates us to prayer. Let the church say. So look with me please at the first of our two verses, which would be verse 14 of our text, because here's where we see Paul's passion in prayer. Say that with me. Paul's He says in that short verse that you read, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, he starts praying in verse 1, and then he stops praying. And from verses 2 through 12, he just starts talking about the mysteries of the church. And then he gets back to his prayer in verse 14, where he talks about, for this reason for this reason, or from the pleasure of what I just got finished saying to you. And this is the, his passion in his prayer. What Paul is referring to, when he says, for this reason, are the great truths which are revealed in Scripture that he wrote from Ephesians chapter 1 all the way down to Ephesians 3 and verse 13. Things like this. These ought to be motivators for us in prayer. Uh, and, and it ought to be that which causes us to turn our hearts to the Lord. God blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah. 
God made us fellow heirs along with the Jews in the body of Christ, fellow heirs, the church. That's something to be very glad about, Bethesda. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God saved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Is anybody happy about that today? God loved us in spite of our depravity, in spite of our weakness. That ought to be something to shout about today. God saved us by his grace and made us his children. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. These are all things he discusses in the earlier part of Ephesians. God adopted us into his family when we were without strength. And in due time, he died for us and became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That ought to be enough for you to raise a hallelujah this morning. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's discussing in the early part of Ephesians. And when we stop to consider everything that the Lord has done for us, not only as individuals, but as a body of believers, just to save us, just to change our lives, you know what it ought to do? It ought to motivate us to go to him and prayer. That's what Paul is communicating in this book of Ephesians. Now, the prophet Jeremiah says, says the same thing in another way. He says, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And then the prophet Isaiah, uh, speaking as the voice of the Lord to the people, chapter 65, he says, it shall come to pass that after they call, I will answer. Did I misread it? Are you with me this morning? Then help me. It shall come to pass that, do you realize that before you even lift your need before the Lord, he's already answered you? That's what the prophet Isaiah tells us. It shall come to pass that before you can even make your need known to God, he says, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Blessed be the name of the Lord God Almighty. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 23, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. When you think about God's goodness, when you think about God's grace, about God's abounding mercy, God's never failing faithfulness, it ought to drive us, church, to pray. I said it ought to drive us to pray. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord. Every hour of every day, I desperately need his guidance. I need him to hold me together when I feel like I'm falling apart. I need him to save me and keep me saved while I'm on this Christian journey, while I'm trying to preach to you, while I'm trying to pastor this church, while I'm trying to do the best I can, while I'm trying to work for him in the kingdom of God. I need prayer to undergird me because I cannot do this work in my own strength. You can't do what God's called you to do in your own strength. That's ought to drive us to prayer. Let me tell you something. You can't raise those children by yourself. You can't do that. You can't walk the Christian walk by yourself. You can't live in faith by yourself. Just like me, you need the enabling of the Holy Spirit that only comes through 
abiding in prayer. I got a little tip for you today. Based upon what I've learned to do in my own prayer life and when my mind wanders, oh, I hope I'm not the only one. Surely that happens to somebody else in this room. You're just sitting there all quiet on me today. Now, it's a secret that we, I don't want you to tell anybody, okay? It's just going to be between you and me, and that's this. Here's a secret that I've learned when my mind begins to wander when I'm in prayer, and it's this. Start over. Start over. Start over. But please remember that when you get serious about prayer, there's one thing that I promise you you can count on for sure, and that is this. When you get really serious about prayer, Satan will attack you in the area of your faith. You can take that to the bank, it's gonna happen. When you begin to feel the attack of Satan, one thing, you you ought to be encouraged by that, because it means you've gotten serious about prayer. A good pastor friend of mine from Michigan this last Sunday preached a fabulous sermon, and I happened to listen to it and watch it, And he said, you know what, any time you set out to do anything for God, whatever it is, any effort that you make toward advancing your spiritual life or that a church does, the first thing that will always happen is opposition. Every time, opposition. For many people, it's the confirmation that God is moving, that God is uh, performing his purposes and accomplishing what he wants to because opposition will be there and the enemy of our souls will make sure it is there every time. So when you're facing opposition, don't think that means that this is not a God thing. It's probably the best confirmation that it is a God thing because opposition is almost a confirmation that you're doing the right thing. That's good, Dan. They don't like it, but that's good anyway. You know what I need here this morning from you? I need a prayer warrior this morning who, knew, who knows that you did not become strong in prayer in just two weeks. Who am I talking to today? If you're going to become strong in prayer, you have to go through some things. You have to pray through some things. If you're going to become really committed to prayer and that God has brought you through and all that you have been through, but it was only through prayer that you're even able to stand here today. You would not be as strong as you are had you not been through the flood and through the fire. Those trials, those difficult days, those sleepless nights has done nothing but make you stronger in God. And that was his purpose and plan all along. And you would not have a strong prayer life if God had not proven that he can come through for you, make a way where there didn't seem to be a way, do the impossible in your life over and over and over and over again. Am I telling you the truth? You ready for me to stop? Okay. I heard a couple of yeses. And you know what the good news is? (laughs) You don't have to be kneeling to pray. How many are glad that you can drive and pray? You can change diapers and pray. I've done it. You can drive to football games on a Friday night and pray. I've done it. That's a wonderful way for me to segue into point number two. Not only is Paul passionate in his prayer, but consider with me also Paul's 
posture in prayer. Say it. Because there's a reason that he's on his knees, and that's what he said. Because bowing the knee was not the common way of praying in Paul's day. Excuse me one second. Wasn't the common thing. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, or even if you've seen pictures or video of the Jewish people standing at the Wailing Wall, the posture of the Jew in prayer is standing with the hands facing upward and looking toward heaven. They're not on their knees, typically, at the Wailing Wall. They're standing with hands upturned, waiting for God to bless them. So the common posture of prayer in the time of Paul is standing. But please understand that there's a reason why in the text you read to me today that he is bowing on his knees in our Ephesian text. I'm going to get to the specifics of that in just a second. Those here this morning who are faithful Bible readers will know that Abraham prayed standing up. Daniel prayed on his knees, but Jesus prayed, according to Matthew 26, Jesus prayed with his face on the ground. And here's what we learned about that. There's not a right or wrong way for the position of your body when you're praying. That's not what's important. The option is yours. What God is looking for is the position of your heart. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for what's going on in your heart while you pray and whether or not you are sincere in your prayer and if you have humbled yourself before him. We know that God hears a sincere prayer even if you have to start over. And folks, what I'm trying to give you the permission to do here is to know that it's okay to start over, maybe several times. I have certainly done that. If your intention is pure, if you mean to do the right thing, God will hear that prayer. Let's be honest. The Bible tells us that we don't even know how to pray and that we really don't even know what to pray for. I don't know if you're like I am, but I prayed a lot of prayers that I'm sure glad God did not answer. Lots of them. He knew to say, well, bless his heart, he means well, but we're not going to do that. But the Holy Spirit, who is our intercessor, can somehow take the prayers that don't even make sense, don't even add up. They, they, they almost just sound crazy. And the Holy Spirit will take that and, and, and translate that and run it through the filter and say to God, Lord, this is what she's really trying to say to you. That's what she's trying to say. Is there anybody here this morning who has been so stressed out that you couldn't even get the words right when you prayed? But you know what? God heard you anyway. And the good news is you don't have to sound like anybody else. You don't have to have a certain tone when you pray. You don't have to use big words. Come on, help me here. When Peter was sinking, walking on the water, he didn't take the time to figure out, now Lord, here I am. Knee bent and body bowed. What did, he, what did he do? He simply cried out, Lord, save me. That was it, three words. Lord, save me when he was sinking. And I'm here to remind you this morning that when you get in trouble, you probably don't have time for a long prayer. And that's okay. Lord, help is sometimes all I can get out. How about you? Lord, help me. Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, come see about me. And that's a prayer that God will answer. Blessed be the name of Jesus. And here's why Paul is bowed on his knees. Bowing on the knees is done only in periods of extreme humility. 
or extreme distress. And I bet everybody in the room has faced those moments. You've been extremely humbled, maybe some disappointing news, whatever it is. And you also know what it is to be extremely distressed, finding out something about a child or a loved one. Well, when Ezra, when he got ready to pray for the sins of the people, he was so distressed that he did bow on his knees. Daniel, when he heard that the king had written an edict that uh, no one was to pray to anybody but him, the king, Daniel went back to his room and in extreme humility, he got down on his knees with his face toward Jerusalem to defy the king's command. I'm talking about the reason why Paul would have considered going on his knees. When Paul was ready to leave Ephesus, he got on his knees with the pastors of those churches and he prayed with them in humility. Solomon, when he was ready to dedicate the temple, he got down on his knees to give thanks and praise to God. Getting down on your knees is a sign of submission to the one who is a far greater being than I am. When I get on my knees, I am submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am submitting to the authority of God. I bow on my knees to say basically to God, I can't, but you can. And God, I need something that I know only you can do, only you can supply. I know who I am on my job. I know who I am in my family. I know who I am at this church. But Lord, in your presence, I must bow because there is none greater than you. Bowing on your knees is a sign of great passion. It's a sign of intense emotion. When you get really serious, when you really are calling upon the Lord, you will probably go to your knees. Let me just say this, and when trouble comes, and trouble will come, I promise you, when the stress of life comes upon you, and it surely will, a good place to be is on your knees. Do I have a witness in the house here today? I'm sure that if we could examine your testimony this morning, we would discover that God came through for you, not because of how many degrees you had, not because of how smart you are, and I hope all that for you, how much money you have in the bank, but God came through for you when you got on your knees and admitted that you can't make it by yourself. Scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But God came through for you when you got on your knees and admitted that you can't make it by yourself. And when you openly admit to God that he is superior, I am not. He's up there. I'm down here. Lord, I need your help. And I want you to know this. When that happens, God will show up every time. Blessed be his name. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise. Oh, I've had those moments so many times. Church, you're looking at somebody who's had plenty of firsthand experience with spiritual warfare. And that's what prayer is. It's spiritual warfare. I know what it is to have Satan whisper in my ear, saying something like, well, if you're a Christian, what kind of God do you serve that would leave you in this condition? Where is he now? I've had him whisper that in my ear. And if, I've, if I'm honest with you, I've had times in my life when I was right on the verge, right on the verge of actually believing that God had forgotten me. Can I tell you that's what pain can do to you? Those of you who have to live with chronic pain, I'm talking about physical pain, but even emotional pain. 
There's something about pain. When it gets serious enough, it can cause you, it can mess up your head and what you're thinking. So I just want you to know, if you are in that condition today, ask for the grace of God to cover you, to keep your mind in order. But in those desperate hours that I've experienced, the sleepless nights, walking the floor, I, sometimes I had just barely a mustard seed of faith left to remind me of the promises of God. And this is an exercise I would wish for any of you, that in your darkest hour, you begin to appropriate the promises that God has left for you in his holy word. It's his holy word which stands forever, that can sustain you and strengthen you and nourish you and undergird you. Somebody say, bless the Lord. You know, promises like, I will never leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And dear ones, when your back is up against the wall, and if you pray and believe in, believe in the one to whom you're praying, you can be assured that God will show up and he's going to honor his own promise to you because you can know this, his word will not return unto him void. His promises are good in the middle of your midnight hour. His promises are good when you are, or your body is racked with pain. His promises are good when the news has not been good that you've received. Where's the faithful ones today who are thankful for that? I just want to remind you He promised you, he promised you that he would keep you in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. He promised that. He promised you, dear one, that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And I believe there's an implication that the stops of a man are ordered of the Lord. He promised you that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He promised you that if I wait on the Lord and be of good courage, he will, he will strengthen my heart. He promised you, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Father, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Does anybody need this today? Who am I talking to then? The youth shall faint and grow weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. And here's the promise. But they that wait upon the Lord shall, shall, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. He promised you that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. If you can wait until October 21st is the day the new Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir comes out, they've got a song that says this, when the bottom falls out, even then I will praise him. When I can't figure it out, even then I will praise him because I know that God is working for my good. He's made a promise that he would. So in every situation, I'll praise him. You know what else he's promised you? 
He's promised you that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man the good things that God has prepared for them that love them, love him. And Paul says this, I am persuaded that neither life nor death, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come, nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Those are your promises to stand upon. And I don't know about you, but I'm standing on the promises of God today. Who's with me in that today? If your heart is right in prayer, even if your words are messed up, if your heart is right, God's gonna hear your prayer. Paul talks to us about his passion in prayer. And he speaks to us about his posture in prayer. But the second verse of our two verse, our little two verse text is verse 15. Paul leads off about his purpose in prayer. Paul's purpose in prayer, say it with me from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, let me be clear about something. I'm going to step right on out here. He is not speaking of universalism when he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is not universalism. It is, it is not unusual for us to hear today the public sector Uh, in its liberal theological idea, say that God is everyone's father. Liberal theology and universalism will talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. And that may sound nice, that may sound warm and fuzzy, but, but it's not scripture. Because God is not everyone's father. He is everyone's creator, but he's not everyone's father. I am created by God, and then I am recreated by Jesus Christ, which makes me now not only a creation, but a child. I am a child of God, and if I'm a child, then I'm an heir. And if I'm an heir, then all that he is can be mine. I don't know how it works at your house, but I can talk about the Smith house, okay? We have two children. We have a son, a daughter. Both are grown now, sort of. And um, both have been married seven years, close to it. And both of our kids have children of their own. But somehow, this is just amazing to me, they still believe that anything which belongs to mom and dad still belongs to them. They think nothing of walking in the house and raiding the pantry, the fridge, taking my bicycle, or anything else. Because they, you know, it's mom and dad, so it's mine. Does that work at your house that way? But I want to remind you of this this morning, that you have said, that if you have said yes to Jesus and made him the Lord of your life, then you're a child of God. You're a child of the king. We used to sing, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I who was wretched and blind now can sing, praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the king. Which means this, church, when I'm sick, he's a doctor. 
When I'm in trouble, he's a lawyer. When I'm lost, he's a savior. Any and everything that I need is available through his boundless resources. Why? Because I am his child. I know I have my issues. I sure do. So do you. But I'm a child of God. I know I make more than my fair share of mistakes, but I'm a child of the King. I know my prayers don't always make sense, and sometimes the words don't come out easily, but I'm still a child of God. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, you are a creation of God, but you're not a child of God. The only way to become a child is that you have to be born. Nicodemus was a learned member of the Sanhedrin council, and he came to Jesus by night. He was giving Jesus a lot of polish and shine and all this nice stuff, and Jesus just skipped right through all that, and he said, you must be born again. What did Nicodemus say? He said, how is it that a man my age could go back and enter into his mother's womb and and be born? And Jesus said, you mean to tell me you've been to school and all that? all these years, and you don't understand what I'm talking about. That which is of the flesh is flesh, but that which is of the spirit is. You can't go back into your mother's womb to be born, no. The birth I'm talking about has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from above. You must be born from above. And if you are here this morning and you have not been born again, you need to do it today. You must be born from heaven today. I want you to know that I stand before you today. I know that I have been born again. I'm not questioning. I'm not unsure. I know I've been born again. I know that I have been washed in the blood of the crucified lamb. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my name is written in the lamb's book of life. I know that when this earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, I have another house, not made with hands, but it's eternal in the heavens. And I know that some glad morning when this life is o'er, what am I going to do? I want to be clear about it today. I'm very thankful to be a child of God. When I was growing up on 200 Harden Street in Sykeston, Missouri, of my elementary years, in the home of James and Vita Smith, before we left the house, my parents would check us out. I'd better have my shoes shined. My shirt tail had better be tucked in. (laughs) There better be enough brill cream on my head to be sure every hair was in place. Times have changed. I was repeatedly told, if someone does something nice for you, be sure you thank them. You respond to your elders with yes, ma'am, or no, sir. Be sure that you're nice and kind to people because when you leave this house, you carry the Smith family name with you. I better not ever hear of you behaving in a way that is not in line with the way you have been raised. That's the way way it was told at my house. Because when you leave this house, you carry the Smith family name. Let me help you with it this morning. When you leave this house... Are you awake? Bethesda Community Church now at 4700 North Beach in Fort Worth, Texas, 76137. God says, you carry my name. 
Don't you leave this place acting like you're not a child of God. You be nice to people. You be kind to people, even in the parking lot as you're trying to get out of here. Do good unto your neighbor. And that's not always easy. Be a Christian everywhere you go. If they steal your coat, give them your cloak also. Am I giving you the word this morning? If they ask you to go one mile, go two. If you do what is right, I will bless your life. I'll bless you in your going out, and I will bless you in your coming in. Brothers and sisters, our text closes in verse 15 of Ephesians 3 by talking about the family of God, which is in heaven and on earth. You read it, in heaven and on earth. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the church triumphant and the church militant. The church militant derives her name from spiritual warfare. The church triumphant derives her name from spiritual victory. The church triumphant are those saints who have already borne the burden in the heat of the day and they are with God today in heaven. Who am I talking about? People like Pastor Des Evans, M.F. Martin, David Gregg, Don Endicott, B.C. Campbell, and sweet little wife Joyce. This is a dangerous thing to do, you know that. J.C. Tao, Big John Hall, Earlene Cooper, Barbara Blaylock, Larry, Marvin and Betty Leslie, Priscilla Cox, your loved ones, my loved ones, my good friend Ray Snow, on and on and on and on and on and on. The book of Hebrews says, now you need to listen to me. Hold steady for just five more minutes. I'll be done. Seeing therefore that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Oh, Dan, hold it together. I used to have a misunderstanding of this text because I thought these saints were in heaven looking down on us. But that's a misrepresentation of the text. I used to think that my grandmother was in heaven watching over me, and that scared me to death. <laughs> the saints are not in heaven watching over us, looking out for us. My parents are in heaven, but they're not there looking out for me because my parents were human. They were wonderful, but they had faults and sins, and they're not, out, they're not in heaven looking out for me. They got to heaven because someone was looking out for them. They're not in heaven looking down on me, but I'm on earth looking up at them. But it is God Almighty who's looking out for me. God is the one who's watching you, dear friend. God is the one who's taking care of you. No matter how dark my night may be, he is watching over me. Therefore, I can pray with confidence. According to what the writer of the Hebrews says, becoming one of my favorite verses, it's on my top three, I come boldly to the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Is that a comfort to you like it is to me? You can come today boldly 
to the throne of grace, to the one who's watching out for you, the one who's caring for you. And you will, find, you will obtain mercy and you will find grace to help in the time of need. And there's a little obscure scripture found in the book of Revelation chapter five. Do you know that your prayers are kept in bowls? Look it up, Revelation five, verse eight. And also that your prayers are gonna outlast you? After you're in the grave, your prayers are still alive and being heard in heaven. They're being kept in bowls. They're gonna last long after you are gone from this earth. It's a season of prayer for us. Every day should be a season of prayer. But I thank God that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Can you say amen to that this morning? Would you stand with me, please?